setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks so much for joining us. As many of you know, I'm author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I also pen the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch, and I'm a professor of clinical psychology at State University of New York at Albany, and I also do clinical work at Health Psychology Associates in Albany. I could not be happier to present our guest today. It's Dr. David Bierman. Dr. Bierman has spent, dare I say it, four decades really spearheading the work on both medical and recreational cannabis, all the wild political matters machinations that have gone into it. And I do want to plug a couple of his publications that I find completely just splendid. Uh, One is his book, Drugs Are Not the Devil's Tools, which is a a title I got to admit I really envy, wish I had used on a a few publications of my own. And his uh, older book, Demons, Discrimination, and Dollars. And these take a, a really incisive, just insightful, wonderful book uh, look at how uh, really the way cannabis prohibition has gotten started is uh, a real tragedy when we when we look back at it. But we also have some pressure to to discuss our uh, ADHD work, so I'm not even sure where to begin. But Dr. Bierman, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's a real pleasure, and uh, your audience probably isn't aware, but uh, we've known each other for a while, and I've admired your work greatly. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, super. Well, I do want to make sure I I get to the ADHD work and just was curious if you could sort of give us some of the hallmark symptoms of the disorder and how you feel about the way it's been uh, treated medicinally. Well, the disorder has been with us for a long time. Uh, The name ADD and attention deficit disorder has only been with us for about 30 or 40 years. Uh, and, you know, for a long time, uh, people with uh, this uh, condition uh, have thought themselves not very smart sometimes, even though the average person with ADD or ADHD has an above-average uh, IQ. Uh, and we've treated it in the past with uh, sympathomimetic drugs. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was in medical school, which was longer ago than I, I care to remember, that this condition was at one time referred to as minimal brain damage, and that's because of the paradoxical response to amphetamines, to stimulants, which is what uh, ADD was treated with and still is treated with. That is to say that the stimulants with somebody with ADD causes them to uh, focus and uh, to uh, concentrate more, uh, but it also has the typical side effects of increasing anxiety, interfering with appetite, and interfering with sleep. 
And there are a lot of people who just stop taking it. Yeah, it might help them uh, concentrate or focus more, but the side effects uh, outweigh the uh, uh, the benefits. So that's the way that it's been treated. And one of the things that we know now about uh, ADD is it probably falls into that basket that uh, people like uh, Dr. Ethan Russo and Dr. Daniel Piamelli have referred to as an endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome. And we'll talk a little bit uh, more. I don't want to rattle on, and so I'll let you ask another question, and we'll get into this a little bit more deeply. Well, I'm delighted that you brought up that minimal brain, brain dysfunction work back in the day, and I do feel like that may have created sort of a stigma around the disorder that's really unnecessary. And I'm curious, just in, in your own clinical work, what are these folks like? What's a, what's a typical day for them? Well, the the main uh, problem I think that people have, uh, and and it's written in most of the uh, textbooks, is problems with what's called executive function. That is to say that they uh, have difficulty in um, getting to appointments on time. Uh, they often have uh, a number of projects that are in process uh, that they have a very difficult time in uh, completing. And when you talk to people that have uh, stumbled on the uh, use of cannabis uh, for treating their ADD, you find that they often start using it uh, oh, in junior high at age 14 or 15. As a matter of fact, I've taken to uh, saying in uh, presentations that uh, a person who starts using cannabis before the age of 15 has attention deficit disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder until proven otherwise. And these uh, folks generally have found that their grades have gone from uh, D's and F's to A's and B's once they start using cannabis. It helps them focus and concentrate more. And there's a, there's a reason for all that, and that reason is uh, that it helps slow down the speed of neurotransmission. Uh, what I've found with uh, people who have uh, ADD is that many of them are successful, and maybe those are the ones who uh, are able to find their way to a physician who understands the medicinal value of uh, cannabis. But again, the literature uh, is pretty clear that people who have attention deficit disorder tend to be more creative. They uh, may be in the arts. They may be computer programmers. And because of their ability to multitask, uh, they may make uh, good entrepreneurs or good CEOs. But they need to figure out how to sort of uh, harness that ability to mental uh, to multitask so that they actually complete these tasks. And what the uh, cannabis does is it helps people focus and, uh, and concentrate. And I have so many, you know, anecdotes and stories to tell you that I don't want to wander off. I'd like to try to stay on point and drill down on some of the issues that uh, you'd like to see expanded on here. Well, so the criticism I get most is a lot of folks jumping up and down saying we don't really understand the mechanism for cannabis to, to have these effects, which I find kind of laughable because the... The stimulant drugs don't seem to have a better explanation either. Is that a fair way to put it? I uh, it, it is a fair way to put it, uh, but actually the explanation uh, for both the uh, amphetamines and cannabis is the same. 
and that is to make more dopamine available. Uh, there was an excellent article that appeared in the Scientific American in 2004, so there's really no excuse for not understanding uh, how the endocannabinoid system works. Uh, that was an article by Elger and Nickel entitled The Brain's Own Marijuana, and it discussed uh, the mechanism called retrograde inhibition. And as we know from uh, a really good article by Bob Melamede, uh, who used to be the chairman, is retired as the chairman of the uh, biology department at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs branch, uh, the endocannabinoid system is very important in terms of homeostasis. Uh, so we've got that uh, function of the endocannabinoid system, but we also have uh, the fact that it's important in terms of modulating the speed of neurotransmission. So it begins to make sense that if you can slow down the speed of neurotransmission, that you're going to have fewer, slower-moving sensory inputs to your frontal lobes and making it easier for the frontal lobes to concentrate and focus on a particular uh, thought or idea rather than being bombarded at warp speed by 5 or 10 or 15 different uh, concepts or uh, inputs to, uh, to the brain all at once. Retrograde inhibition works by uh, the endocannabinoid system doing what it's supposed to do and what was discovered in the late 1980s and early 1990s when uh, researchers characterized the endocannabinoid system. And that is that the endocannabinoids, or in this case the phytocannabinoids that are found in cannabis, but the endocannabinoids go from the what's called a postsynaptic neuron, and I know that you know what that is, uh, listeners may be a little bit confused, but it just goes from one neuron backwards to the one before it that stimulated that, the presynaptic neuron. It causes a release of dopamine, and the amphetamines also increase the amount of dopamine, but the difference between the uh, amphetamines and cannabis is in the side effect profile. Uh, I do have some patients who continue to take the amphetamines at the same time they're taking cannabis, not only because the cannabis also helps the symptoms that they're looking at, that is they get better focus, more concentration, but also it has the exact opposite side effects of the stimulants. And that is to say it increases the appetite rather than suppressing it. It helps with sleep rather than interfering and it uh, tones down uh, uh, anxiety uh, counteracting the jitteriness that can go along uh, with the use of uh, stimulants. The increase in the amount of dopamine, which can occur both with the stimulants and with cannabis, uh, causes a, a depolarization of the presynaptic neuron. And the neuron, the more it's polarized, the e easier it is for the next neural stimuli coming along to stimulate that neuron. Uh, and the more that it's uh, 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 the more that it's polarized, the easier. It, uh, excuse me, I'm getting confused here. The more that it's depolarized, the, uh, the more difficult it is to stimulate that neuron. I, I got a little bit uh, wrapped up in my own explanation there, but the no, that's perfectly. 
Did, did I get it right there? It's Absolutely. No, it's perfectly clear. Okay. I do have to, I do have to uh, just get a word in from our sponsor. We're, we're having a delightful chat about the endocannabinoid system and neural transmission in all of humans and in those with uh, ADHD with Dr. David Bierman. As my cannabis radio brother, Vivian McPeaks, would say, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Boober way. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to Burning Issues. We're having a superb chat with Dr. David Bierman. We've gone through how ADHD may respond to cannabis-based medicines and essentially uh, improve attention and hyperactivity without creating the jittery, weird, anxiety-provoking uh, sad side effects of the stimulant drugs, I do want to turn to a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that's uh, basically how drug policy may have stemmed from discrimination and greed. Would you care to just give us a nutshell version of how cannabis has played a role in some of that? Right. Well, in my book, I frame the laws about cannabis in the uh, way in which we've approached other drugs. And we have used drug policy throughout the ages as a way to marginalize discriminated against groups. For instance, uh, we all recall the witches, and of course this is a modern witch hunt. And the witches' sin, if you will, uh, was that they actually were able to help people. But the idea at that time was that you had to cure your medical condition by faith. 
And uh, worse yet, the witches were able to decrease the pain of childbirth, and we had uh, essentially, uh, uh, essentially a theocracy at that time, and the priests ran the show. And they felt that uh, you know women should continue to have pain of childbirth because of the so-called sin of Eve, and so this was a burning offense. Uh, and where, how did the witches go about uh, doing uh, what they did? How did they go about helping people? They understood the medical benefit of various plants. Uh, they were some of your first herbologists. They were some of your first uh, nurse midwives, and. That healing uh, was supposed to be reserved for priests, and the plants were considered to be a tool of the devil, and therefore, you know, we're going to throw you uh, in a sack in the water, and if you float, then uh, you are in league with the devil, and if you sink, uh, then uh, you, you're not a witch. You are dead, but you're not a witch. Uh, and we have the same kind of insanity uh, today as uh, was going on in the witch hunts. Probably the first group in this country that was discriminated against as a result uh, of the drug policy were the Irish. Uh, and uh, the Irish had two things negative going against them as far as the uh, establishment was concerned. Not only were they Irish, and the British saw the uh, Irish as not quite being as much uh, evolutionarily evolved as they were, and therefore weren't able to handle their alcohol. And worse yet, uh, most of the Irish were Catholic. Uh, and, of course, the British were Episcopalian. And in the uh, 17th century, they had uh, moved a bunch of uh, uh, Scottish folks over to Ireland to dilute the Catholicism. And so you had uh, the Scotch-Irish, who were Protestant. And a large percentage of the Irish that were in this country, say, at the time of the uh, uh, Revolutionary War, were Scotch-Irish. And they acquitted themselves quite well uh, in the Revolutionary War. Uh, but in the uh, 1840s, you had the potato famine in Ireland, and so you had a large influx of Irish Catholics. And the, this is really when the uh, temperance movement sort of pivoted to becoming the prohibition uh, uh, movement. And after the Irish, you had uh, German immigrants come in in fairly large numbers, and the powers that be were concerned about uh, the Germans because they included the whole family when they were drinking beer and they were having a very good time, said picnics and that sort of thing. And shortly after that, uh, you had... Uh, the Chinese, you had a large flood uh, in China that wiped out hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland, and so you had people who were looking for work. Uh, fortunately for the United States, uh, with the uh, gold rush and then later the Intercontinental Railroad, uh, we had the need for lots of cheap labor. And the Chinese uh, worked uh, fairly cheaply, and they worked fairly hard. Uh, this was good for them until we had the first uh, depression uh, in the United States, uh, which was in 1873, uh, and then the fact that the Chinese uh, worked hard and worked cheap was used against them, uh, much in the same way that we have 
the anti-immigrant attitudes that exist to this day. Uh, In fact, the Republican Party uh, was a combination of the Whig Party uh, and the Know-Nothing Party. Uh, The Know-Nothing Party got their name because it was more of a a secret organization, and when asked what they talked about or what they did at their meetings, uh, their members generally said, I know nothing. Uh, It wasn't because their opponents thought they knew nothing. It was because that's the way they identified themselves. And they were strongly uh, anti-immigrant, and that was kicked in because of the Irish immigrants and the German immigrants and then uh, later the the Chinese. So let's get on to the uh, where the cannabis came into the act here. Uh, Recreational cannabis was introduced into the Americas likely by slaves from Angola uh, who were transported to Brazil in the 16th century. And then cannabis slowly made its way up from Brazil uh, to uh, Mexico. Uh, And it entered the United States probably in the 1890s. And this is as recreational use, because medically it had entered the states at the same time or so that it was reintroduced into Western medicine by W.B. O'Shaughnessy, who was a British physician who had been in uh, India for many years involved in putting a telegraph across India for which he was uh, knighted. And he he came back to England in 1839, uh, gave talks and um, wrote papers and so forth, talking about uh, the animal research he had done with cannabis in India and uh, his experience in treating humans with it. By 1854, it was in the United States Pharmacopeia, Uh, And uh, by the 1900s, the turn of the century from the late uh, 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 1890s to the uh, 20th century, it was the third most common ingredient in American uh, medicines, whether over-the-counter medicines or prescription medicines. But this all began to change uh, as uh, the... Uh, laws were used uh, as a way to marginalize, discriminate against groups. You had uh, people uh, who were sailors that uh, came into the port of New Orleans and brought the use of cannabis uh, with them, and it quickly found its way to the brothels, uh, which was in a part of New Orleans called Storyville, which was named after the city councilman named Story, who had uh, sort of isolated where the brothels could be. And it was commonly used by uh, jazz musicians who felt that it improved their um, their music playing. So you already had this kind of a stigma that was attached to it, uh, certainly in New Orleans, uh, of being associated with prostitution. Then in 1910, you have the... Um, uh, Mexican Revolution, and this drove a lot of uh, poor Mexicans out of Mexico and into the Southwest. And they had befell kind of the same fate as uh, the Chinese of working hard and working cheap. And soon you had uh, laws in uh, the Southwest uh, against the use of uh, marijuana. Now, the interesting thing is that at the same time that you had laws against marijuana, you continued to have uh, the use of cannabis in medicine. Uh, 
And in fact, in the 1920s, uh, American physicians wrote three million prescriptions a year uh, that contain cannabis. So it's clear that we have used the term marijuana to stigmatize uh, cannabis. And in fact, in 1937, uh, the American Medical Association testified vigorously against the Marijuana Tax Act, and they said, we don't think you should pass this. We don't think you'll be able to enforce it. In fact, everything that the AMA said in their testimony in 1937 is as true today as it was then. Uh, They said, if you are going to pass this uh, act, uh, don't call it the Marijuana Tax Act. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Uh, People know what cannabis is. People know what hemp is. But people really don't understand that marijuana is exactly the same thing as cannabis and hemp. And, of course, that was the whole point of why it was called the Marijuana Tax Act. Had it been called the Cannabis Tax Act, Uh, there would have been many, many people that would have testified against it and would have said, what the heck is going on here? But the term marijuana was chosen uh, to have it sound foreign, to make it seem like it was something that other people were using, not us, but them. And we've had this us and them problem in this country historically for a century, a century and a half, maybe even longer than than that. So that's kind of a very brief overview of where discrimination comes in. Now, where the greed part comes in is the there's a good deal of circumstantial evidence that the Marijuana Tax Act was fostered by petrochemical uh, interests, and they weren't concerned about marijuana. They weren't concerned about the medicinal use of cannabis. They were concerned about hemp. And while today we're talking about all of the uh, economic benefits that can come uh, from legalizing cannabis for medical purposes, the economic uh, uh, fruit from hemp is likely to be even greater uh, than uh, the windfall that we're currently seeing uh, from the medicinal use of cannabis. And that's because the waste product of hemp is the inner core, the hemp herd, which is largely cellulose. Now, DuPont is fingered with this circumstantial evidence of being the point person or the point corporation in regards to getting the Marijuana Tax Act uh, written and uh, introduced into Congress. It was carried by uh, a North Carolina Democratic House member who frequently introduced legislation for DuPont. The man's name was Robert Daunton, and that was the person who introduced the Marijuana Tax Act uh, into the House. So what was DuPont worried about? Well, they had uh, developed uh, cellophane, which is a synthetic made from cellulose, nylon, which is a synthetic fiber made from cellulose. They had the um, uh, North American distribution rights for rayon made from cellulose. They also uh, made an additive for gasoline, ethyl lead, and Henry Ford uh, had always thought that cars were going to run on ethanol, probably hemp ethanol, and towards that end, he had a prototype car uh, that uh, was out and people were well aware of in the late 
1930s and early 1940s that not only ran on hemp ethanol, but was made almost entirely out of hemp. Uh, not only did DuPont make uh, the tetraethyl lead additive, which now is illegal because of the problems with lead, but they also were the largest shareholders in Ford's principal competitor, General Motors. So, oh, I, mean, I forgot to mention they also made uh, sulfites that you can make paper out of, but you need four times as much of the sulfites to make paper out of wood pulp as you do to make it out of the cellulose and hemp. So. DuPont had a lot to lose uh, if hemp became uh, more economically competitive, which it was because of uh, an invention that was patented in 1916 uh, by uh, uh, Schlichten called a decorticator. And 1933, the patent runs out. other uh, inventors start improving on that. And what this decorticator did is it allowed you to do in one process, which had previously taken two processes. That is, it allowed you to not only harvest the hemp, but to prepare it for industrial use, thereby I'm, making it I'm sorry, Dr. Beerman, this is, this is splendid, but I'm, I'm afraid we're, we're running out of time. I just got to appreciate what a voluminous uh body of knowledge you've completely mastered it's it's delightful to hear all this and the take-home message really is we've got a history of this sort of oddball racial uh set of legislation to to work against uh folks who are other than us and that when cash is involved folks are willing to to throw a, a harmless plant or an even a helpful one under the bus anyway Dr. not only are they willing to do that but in the year after cannabis came out of the uh, uh, United States Pharmacopeia, the longtime editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association, Dr. Morris Fishbein, uh, went along with uh, Dr. Sir William Osler, who was considered to be the founder of modern medicine, and in 1892, in the first textbook of internal medicine, said that cannabis was the best treatment for migraine headaches, and this is what Dr. Fishbein said in 1942. We've known for a long time that cannabis is useful in treating attention deficit disorder, and your listeners uh, who have attention deficit disorder uh, or other uh, maladies that are in the endocannabinoid deficiency uh, arena should feel comfortable in seeing cannabinoid medicine specialists or in bringing this up with their primary care doctor about the medicinal value of cannabis, particularly uh, for treating attention deficit disorder. The uh, literature is uh, replete. There have been uh, studies. I was just participated in as a discussant with a study that came out of England in regards to the use of cannabis for treating attention deficit disorder. This is something that should be the first choice for treating attention deficit disorder, not the last choice. It's something that doctors uh, should be prescribing and recommending uh, and should be assisting people in understanding its value, not letting people sort of accidentally discover that this helps them uh, focus and, and concentrate. And I wanted to tell this one anecdote. I don't know whether we have time or not, uh, but if we do, uh, I was being interviewed by a reporter for USA Today, actually for an article on migraine uh, headaches. And uh, as often happens, the reporter was telling me about 
uh, her experience with uh, recreational drugs when she was in college. We were sort of laughing in short lane. This was an informal Italian restaurant down near Zuma Beach. The waitress comes over and says, I just want to tell you, my 17-year-old son started smoking marijuana when he was 16, uh, and after a month or two, he noticed he was better able to focus and concentrate on his homework, and his grades went from C-minuses and Ds to A's and Ds. And this was a person who just came over and, and offered that. And her story goes along with what most of my patients who have found that cannabis is useful in treating ADD, not only do their grades go from uh, uh, D's and F's to A's and B's, but I had one uh, patient who said, I attribute my use of cannabis to being able to graduate from the Maritime Academy. I had another uh, patient who said, I attribute my use of cannabis to getting my PhD. And these anecdotes go on and on. And I certainly encourage uh, your uh, audience to uh, consider cannabis for ADD. I've written a couple of articles. They can go to my uh, website if they want to, davidbeermanmd.com, and they'll find that. Or just uh, Google my name and put in ADD, and you'll find all kinds of scientific information that should uh, encourage you of the value of this very helpful medication, not only, of course, for ADD and ADHD, but for a whole host of other medical conditions. Thanks so much, Dr. Bierman. We really appreciate it, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. We're going to obviously have to have you back because there's a lot of material to cover here. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in to Burning Issues. Please stay tuned for our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Don't go away. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC. Symbol MCIG. The smoke is rising and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com Running a successful cannabis business isn't easy. Successful businesses need to have strong people to achieve long-term results. At Live Advisors, we believe people are the heart of business, and training people can help you infinitely grow your business. Learn more about our offerings at liveadvisors.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. Thanks so much for joining us on Burning Issues. Today I'd like to discuss in our new chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism an angry email I received recently. 
Now, obviously, as I've mentioned, this is the part of our show that helps us take good care of ourselves and each other. And I want to make sure everybody understands we're allowed a full range of affect in the cannabis reform community. Uh, an email that I'll, I'll spare you all the details of, but boils down to the idea that maybe I'm presenting things as a little too simple when it comes to some of the cognitive distortions we've discussed in the past and how they seem to contribute to our mood. Uh, I want to make sure that I emphasize that some of these things may sound simple, but I don't assume that they are easy. And I do want to uh, just sort of walk through uh, one of the questions that came up was really, hey, do you think everything boils down to dichotomous thinking, black or white thinking, all or nothing thinking? And the, the irony of that question, of course, is pretty thick because to say that everything boiled down to any one thing would be an example of dichotomous thinking or all or nothing thinking. And that would, of course, put me at risk for some pretty rough depression and odd, uh, angry moods. So with that spirit in mind, I did want to emphasize that there are other cognitive distortions besides the one I seem to perseverate on, and I'm eager to go through them. I don't mean to say we're going to learn this and then you're never going to have these thoughts. These thoughts come and go. These thoughts pop up in our heads like the weather. If I say Mary had a little, odds are high your mind spouts out lamb. It's just part of the conditioning we've had in growing up in the culture that we're in. My friend Steve Hayes has pointed this out time and again, and he doesn't even battle the cognitions when he sees them. He just kind of recognizes them for what they are, pats them on the head, and goes back to moving toward his own values and actions. But let me give you a couple other examples of maladaptive cognitions that might help uh, you see the world in a certain way, and it seems adaptive at a time, but can be depressing or angering in the long run. These are emotional reasoning, should statements, and personalization. In emotional reasoning, basically what we say to ourselves is, I feel it, therefore it must be true. And I'm afraid I have this one almost every morning. If my kids leave the house but fail to turn out the lights in their rooms, I think, oh my God, how can they be so rude? Or how could they not think of me? Or something like that. In fact, hey, they're busy kids and they don't have time to turn off the lights. The idea that I have this strong feeling, it must be true, in fact, is really faulty. And I can just go turn out the lights myself and don't have to drive myself crazy, even though in my head, the emotion seems to justify the thought. The thought not only isn't helping me, it's not even true. With should statements, what we have are these musts and oughts that seem to be a part of our everyday lives. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Uh, the rational emotive therapist who started all of this, Albert Ellis, would call this masturbation. And there's a term I got to admit I really get a kick out of. But the idea that I have to do my best at every moment. I must be all I can be. I ought to get as much work done as I can in any minute. That's just unfair. And in fact, this is the kind of thing that leads to anger, frustration, and a lot of resentments. If I'm catching myself having strong emotions in this direction, I have to say, is there a must under here? Is there a should under here? And if so, is it realistic? 
yeah, I should avoid killing people. I must breathe air. But other than that, we need to be a little more flexible about these ideas in the hopes of giving ourselves a little more peace, a little more tranquility. And then finally, the idea of personalization, or as I call it, the personal rainstorm. This is when you see yourself as the cause of negative events, when in fact there's really no way you can be responsible for them. Now, we've all seen that guy who jokes, hey, I, I know it's going to rain today because I washed my car. Now, obviously, washing your car has no impact on the stratosphere. But this idea that I feel like something bad is bound to happen because I've put effort in, or this is bound to fail simply because I want it so. These are over-personalized, misunderstood ways of thinking about causality. In fact, a whole lot of things seem to happen at random in life, and it really is independent of us. So we're not the guilty sinner every time. We're not the source of all that is evil. We are the ones who can over-personalize, but in fact, it's hard to realize a lot of things are simply out of our control. Surrendering to that idea can help us avoid some of the anger, frustration, resentment, and sadness that goes with it. Hey, I really appreciate you joining us today and our uh, guest, Dr. David Bierman. I really love that you tuned into Burning Issues and you can always get us on our hike radio or iTunes or cannabisradio.com, my favorite website. If you try any of these out and have a good time with them, please let me know at 420research at gmail.com. That's the numbers 420research at gmail.com. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.